This is This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball, Episode 11, for the week of September 28th through October 5th. Twinkie Talk. This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball is brought to you by Fansided.com, the one pro sports blog network on the internet, all-star fans, all-star content. Fansided.com, diehard fans dish out nonstop sports news and views. Coming up in this episode, Greg Eno swings by to talk about the next four games against the Minnesota Twins. Talk about a defining season. It all starts today, and Greg Eno's analysis has got you covered. Also joining us this week is Paul Wester of Tigestown.com to break down the changes in the Arizona Fall League roster. Four games remaining, two teams in one division title on the line. It's this week in Detroit Tigers baseball, and it starts now. Bringing the best Detroit Tigers bloggers together to talk about our team. Sponsored by MotorCityBengals.com. It's This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball, and it starts now. Welcome back to another edition of This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball. I am your host, Joe Dexter. Well, the four games that could define the 2009 Detroit Tigers, they are here. And who knew it would come against this team in this division? Okay, maybe a lot of us knew that it would come against the Minnesota Twins, who as always are streaking at the end of the season. And as the Minnesota Twins roll into town, only one thing is on the mind of both of these teams' players. Win now or go home. Okay, maybe that's not the only thing. For youngster Rick Porcello, who's on the mound tonight for the Tigers, this is going to be a fun series. We're going to go in there with a game plan tomorrow uh, and you know, see what happens. Obviously, uh, things could change throughout the course of the game, adjustments and, and whatnot. We know what we want to do, and we're going to go out there and, and try and do it. And No, it's, uh, it's going to be a fun series. The Tigers come into this series two games up after dropping two out of three in Chicago. Center fielder Curtis Granderson, who had five total bases in game number two of this series and a home run yesterday, was key in pulling one game out of the series. Just like the Tigers did on Saturday, Granderson believes the White Sox pulled things together to come back like Detroit in its 12-5 win one day earlier. Game just like how it was yesterday. You know, they jump out to a 5 0 lead, and, uh, or we didn't give up, and today, you know, we get out to uh, a 1 0 lead, and sure enough, they come right back and continue to put pressure on. We answer again, go up 2 to 1, and, you know, both sides, you know, no matter who's in it and who's out of it, guys are professional, they're going to still fight until everything's all done, especially if you're out in the field. Tigers starter Edwin Jackson went seven innings in game number three of the Chicago White Sox series and at one point sat down 10 straight hitters. But in the end, the extra base hits he gave up in the sixth inning were what hurt him in his second-to-last start of the season. It was double after double. It wasn't like singles, two down the line in a gap, and they found a gap in right center. I mean, just well-placed balls. Well, it has all come down to this, folks. Four games against the Minnesota Twins. And unlike most Major League Baseball fans, we are privileged to be at this point in the 2009 season. After all these games, our Tigers are still in the playoff hunt, something veteran leader Brandon Inch is excited about. As a matter of fact, he believes this is what baseball is all about. To be honest with you, this is the stuff you play for. This is the stuff that you practice all offseason and you miss time with your family. This is what you play for, you know, to get to the postseason and these three games coming up. Three of the most important games of the year, if not the most important games of the year. 
When we come back on this week in Detroit Tigers baseball, we will break down the biggest games of the year for the Detroit Tigers. And here with us to do that is Greg Eno of GregEno.com and the Knee Jerks, which airs tonight. Greg will join us shortly after the break to break down the pitching matchups and get you ready for what Greg is calling possibly the four most important games in regular season history at Comerica Park. That's coming up next on this week in Detroit Tigers baseball part of the Fansided Network. Born in March of 2008, Cat Crave Radio was a show by the fans and for the fans of the Carolina Panthers, providing news. Steve will be suspended for the first two games. Major media insights. Because he has that history, and that would be a little bit of a cause for concern in my mind. And player interviews. With, you know, the team that we had last year, there's no reason not to think that we can get to the Super Bowl. If you're a fan of the Carolina Panthers, there's only one show you'll ever need. Cat Crave Radio, located on the web at catcraveradio.com. All-star fans, all-star content. Fansided.com is a sports network where diehard fans dish out non-stop sports news and views. Come after me! I'm a man! I'm 40! Fandom has no off-season, and neither do we. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. Fansided.com, the number one pro sports blog network on the internet. We're proud to be standing there like a house on the side of the road, and we cheer when your tiger hits it long gone. MotorCityBengals.com, part of the Fansided network at Fansided.com. Welcome back to this week in Detroit Tigers baseball on the Fansided Network. We're now joined on the panelist discussion by Greg Eno of GregEno.com and the Knee Jerks, which airs tonight. Greg at 11 on blogtalkradio.com slash the Knee Jerks with Al Beaton of the Wayne Fonts Experience. How are you doing, Greg? I'm doing well. Thanks for the plug, Joe, and thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Well, let's get right to it. A lot on the plate as the Tigers take on the Twins in a home series, up two games after dropping two out of three to the baseball team on the south side. Let's start with yesterday's game. Edwin Jackson on the mound. Jackson was cruising through five, and then just it started to fall apart in the sixth inning. He retired 10 batters after that Quinton second inning RBI double, and then in the sixth he got pounded for those three straight extra base hits. What are your thoughts on Edwin Jackson's start on Sunday? Well, you know, I thought he pitched, uh, like you said, he pitched well for, for the first five innings or so. And uh, sometimes, you know, all it takes is a bad inning, a couple of uh, not even bad pitches sometimes, just uh, guys hitting good pitches and getting good swings and getting good uh, contact on the ball. And, and it can happen, uh, unravel real quickly. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, Tigers' offense has been very, you know, wildly inconsistent, and uh, it was another one of those games where they didn't give the pitcher any the pitcher really a lot of uh, margin of error to work with, and and you almost have to feel like these guys go out there and they feel like they have to really be uh, they just can't have a bad inning or else uh, it's going to come back and haunt them. And uh, but uh, I, I was encouraged because I thought he looked well, I looked real good. Uh, Edwin did, and I thought that he probably uh, made a hope. I hope he made a lot of Tigers fans feel a lot better about him uh, heading into the playoffs should they get there. He he made me feel better by his performance. And one thing for me, Greg, I don't know about you, was that slider. Did you think that slider seemed more there in this game? And, you know, he seemed tighter. You know, I think that he had a lot more command. I think he was a lot more, uh, uh, his presence on the mound. The thing about, about Edwin is that even he wasn't going real well. Um, and if you remember his start before that, he, he fell behind a lot of the hitters. Uh, uh, he wasn't throwing a lot of first pitch strikes. But he was able to kind of work through that because that's what power pitchers can do. And 
and uh, he's even when he's not going real well, he's, he's his presence on the mound. I think he's, he hasn't really been rattled. I don't think it's a case of him getting rattled. I think it's just a case of him not having the, the right location and command and, and, uh, and, the, and the tightness on some of his pitches. And I think that uh, you mentioned the slider, and uh, you know, he just he he just stays. He can stay out of trouble if he if he puts the pitches where he needs them. But I was encouraged actually by the start before that where he didn't wasn't particularly sharp. Fell behind a lot of hitters one oh two one and was still able to kinda, of, you know, grind his way through it and uh, come out with a win. Well speaking of sharp in this game, Freddie or excuse me, Fernando Rodney comes into the game, gives up that three run home run. To some fans that might be scary, especially during this playoff run. For me it's not. What about you? What are your thoughts on that? No, I, you know, I, I don't really put a lot of stock into that. I mean, it wasn't a safe situation, number one. We all know how Fernando has struggled when there's not a save on the line. Um, I don't think Jim really wanted to use him all that much uh, in that situation, but uh, didn't want to use Brand- Brandon Lyon, certainly. Uh, no, that doesn't concern me. Uh, you know, I, I, To be honest with you, even if it was a safe situation and he, and he blew up like that, it really wouldn't, you know, really wouldn't uh, uh, make me feel any differently about him either because he's been so he's been so strong in safe situations. I think he's only blown one all year, and I don't know how you, I don't know how you can really argue with that kind of production. I mean, uh, you know, there's this misconception that all the other closers in, in baseball go out there and get their nail their saves down with one, two, three, ninth innings. That's not the way it works. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know that we like to call guys around here roller coasters and things like that, but you know. The bottom line is production. At the end of the day, are you getting the save? Now, would you like to get the save in fewer pitches? Of course. Everybody would love to get, go out there and have a guy get a save in nine pitches. But that doesn't work that way. And I think there's a misconception that, that others closes around, around baseball do that, and only the one in Detroit doesn't. And that's just not the case. Definitely not the case, Greg. Well, overall, the pitching in this series I thought was up to par. Friday, Eddie Bonine, that no-hit bid through five. Then he gives up that home run in the sixth inning. Uh, Nate Robertson didn't pitch too well, but Alfredo Figaro, Fernando Rodney's cousin, steps in, holds the lead for the Tigers after they come back in that game. But we got to continue to talk about this offense that has struggled throughout the year. Despite that 12 runs in one game this weekend, throughout the rest of it, I thought they struggled. Granderson had a hot weekend, though, including the triple on Saturday, five total bases on Saturday, a home run and a double on Sunday. Do you think that offense is coming around at the right time as the Twinkies roll into town for four, especially with Granderson hot and Carlos Guillen hot? Well, you know what? It's funny about it because uh, you mentioned Granderson. He's almost a microcosm of the entire offense in in the sense that, you know, he'll bust out like he did on Saturday with all those hits and all those uh, bases. But then he he goes dormant again. And and, and that's, you know, he's got, I think he said he's not even 250 for the season. Um, you know, he he kind of personifies the offense. You know, these these peaks and which are very few and far between them, the valleys, which are unfortunately longer in in in, in length. And um, I'm not ready to declare the offense, you know, uh, cured, if you will. I mean, you don't go this many games and and and, uh, and not be productive and then say, well, in the last couple of weeks that they're getting their act together. I think that what's going to carry them if they if they make the playoffs, and what's going to carry them in the playoffs if they would have if they are to advance is their pitching. And let's face it, I mean the, the power pitching rules in the postseason, and the Tigers have to hope that trend continues because they're not going to outslug teams. They're not going to outslug the, the Yankees, for example. If they beat the Yankees, they're going to beat them in low scoring games. They're not going to they're not going to pound them. So you know the offense, I think, to me, it's almost like a, a lost cause at this point. You know, if they can just muster enough uh, scratch off scratch out enough runs to 
to carry the pitching, uh, and that's really, I think, the way they're going to have to win because I, I don't think you can really declare this offense cured or ready to roll or peaking at the right time or any of that stuff because I don't think, first of all, I don't think it's true. Secondly, I don't think that, that uh, it, they've shown it through 155 games now that they're cured. <laughs> that is for sure. They haven't been able to show that yet. And you look at that upcoming Twins series, we'll take a look at those the, the probables, the pitching probables in just a bit. And the power pitchers, two out of the three are going in this series, which I think will be key. But what is a win in this series against the Twinkies? Is it three out of four? Is it spelling a break in the series, um, a tice break or going two out of two, uh, four? Or with these pitching matchups, do you think it has to be two out of three? Well, you know, I, I last week I had said uh, kind of to myself and, and to a couple other folks that if the Tigers can go into this four, these four games with the Twins with no less than a two-game lead, they'll be in pretty good shape uh, because now they're in a position where they just need to split these four games with the Twins. If they can do that and, 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 and have Minnesota leave town having gained no ground, now they're going to the last weekend of the season, the last three games of the season with a two-game lead. The Twins now are in a position where they almost have to win three out of four to really have a legitimate shot at this, at this division. Um, so the Tigers can just, they can just hold serve and split these four games, which is really the position that I think that they, that they would prefer to be in. Um, of course, they'll take more than two wins, obviously, but if they can just scratch out two out of these four, They'll knock four more games off the schedule, knock four more games off the magic number, and now the Twins will have to go into the last weekend really needing a miracle. Because when you're down two games with three games to play, and you're not playing that team, now you're relying on, on, on help, uh, it's an awfully difficult thing to do. So I think that the Tigers just need to, you know, obviously have a mindset to win as many games as they can, but if they come out of this thing two and two, that, that's great. It'll definitely be tough for the Twins as well when you look at Zach Greinke, who will be pitching in game number one against them in the next series. Well, let's take a look at the pitching probables, break them down one by one for this series, this four-game series against the Twins. Starting with today's game, starting at 7.05 at Comerica Park, Nick Blackburn on the mound, 11-11, a 4.18 ERA against Rick Porcello, who's really been one of the saviors on this team at 14-9 and a 4.14 ERA so far this year. Greg, who do you like in this matchup with the power pitcher on the mound for the Tigers? You know, it's, it, you just can't, you know, you look at these matchups on paper, and, and sometimes they look like such slam dunks. Uh, you, you might have an ace going up against a guy who's got an inflated ERA who's really struggling, and lo and behold, you know, that, that the guy with the inflated ERA's team wins, you know, so, but if you if we have to, you know, we have to obviously just go by what we can go by, which is uh, uh, the season and the, the matchups and the, and the stats and the, and the, and the breakdown. And uh, I like Porcello. I, I think that he's uh, he's really impressed me the last month or so since he's uh, kind of really uh, put to rest any any concerns that he's going to be hitting some sort of a rookie wall or he's going to be he's going to fatigue toward the end of the year. I think he's really uh, shown that that's not the case. He's still throwing hard. He's he's getting wins. Uh, there seems to be uh, the, the Tigers seem to find a way to win whenever he's on the mound. He's got 14 wins, which is terrific. Um, I like uh, I like that I like him starting this series off. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I think that right now uh, the Twins have been so hot. You know, Zach Linke obviously cooled them off on Sunday, but they've been so hot with the bat that you almost think that maybe they're due to kind of cool down a little bit. And I think that the, the, the Tigers can have the pitchers that can do that. When you look at Rick Porcello, you talk about how he's been doing well so far. 
Five and two, a 3.23 ERA and 11 starts since the beginning of August. Only 56 hits scattered over 61 and a thirds innings. You'll take that from Rick Porcello, and you'll take that win. Uh, you would think that that was a good matchup, but you do bring a good point. When you look at coming up in this series, Carl Pavano, a guy that shouldn't be winning many ball games, has won a lot against the Tigers. Well, let's take a look at Tuesday's matchup. Justin Verlander on the mound. We all know about him. 17-9, 3.41 ERA against the rookie Brian Dunsing, who pitched well against the Tigers in his last start. Do you like Dunsing coming out and doing the same thing he did last time against the Tigers, Greg? One thing the Tigers have have done this year, uh, which has been a negative, is they've really made these younger, inexperienced pitchers that, that appear to have not much of a resume look good and gain confidence. Um, it's difficult to do what he did to a team twice in a row in such a short period of time. However, the Tigers' offense, having said that, is not a typical offense either. And if there is an offense that you can do that to, I hate to say it, it is Detroit. Um, I give that one to Minnesota. I think that uh, if, I, if I'm going to have Porcello win game one and have the Tigers go up by three, I see a very desperate Minnesota team uh, on Tuesday night, uh, and I see a, a, a Minnesota victory. Um, that, uh, despite what it might be going against the grain, but I, I just I, that's the way I see it working out. Uh, Dunsing pitching well so far, one and zero, point six one ERA in his last three starts against the Tigers this year. He's been able to shut them out. Verlander he gets that rematch against the Twins in that game, seven innings last time before a fly ball double lost against the backdrop of the Metrodome. That darn Metrodome, Greg, broken bat bloop single on that one hundred mile fastball from Verlander so that will be a good matchup I think that is the matchup that's probably the key matchup if the twins want to stay into the race isn't it well there's no question I mean they lose that now, obviously it's going to look again it's one of those matchups that on paper is going to look to favor the Tigers but the twins will be three three games back at that point they will have lost two in a row uh, if the Tigers win on Monday like I think they will so, uh, you know, I don't know how much that really plays into it. I'm, I'm probably using a, a baseball, you know, a football or a, or a hockey or a basketball <laughs> mentality of trying to apply it to baseball. But, you know, I guess I have to, you know, to try to justify it somehow. And I just think that uh, while it would be terrific if the Tigers could put this thing to bed and just, and just really, you know, knock the Twins out early in the series, uh, I just, you know, the Twins just don't go quietly. You know that, Joe. They, they, they haven't all year. They picked they pick the worst possible time for Tigers fans, the best possible time for themselves to get hot, and that's just what they do. And um, they're not. You just you just don't. It just doesn't seem like they'll go quietly in this series. And I just don't see the Tigers winning the first two games of that series. Maybe the best best acquisition could be coming in that came at the trade deadline. Could be Tiger Killer, not Joe Creedy, not Jermaine Die. Carl Bovano takes him out for the Twins. He'll be facing Eddie Bonine, who had that pretty good start in his last outing. Pavano, he continues to show that he's a veteran starter, despite the struggles with the Yankees, and that he can get wins for a team. He is that quintessential Twins pitcher, isn't he? You know what? He is. He's... Um... And talk about uh, you know oddities in baseball. You know it, it, it happens sometimes. Just like Verlander has dominated the Indians this year, Pavano obviously has been well documented. His dot has dominated the Tigers. And what's even stranger about it is that he's dominated the Tigers by pitching for two different teams. And it's just it's just funny how that works out sometimes in baseball. You just you, you can't explain it. Um, you really have no idea where that comes from and and and, and why it happens, but it does. But what it does do, it does give guys confidence. And you can't tell me that Carl Pavano 
doesn't feel some confidence. He may not say it publicly, but he's got to feel something different when he pitches against the Tigers, almost like you feel like something good is going to happen if you're Carl Pavano. And the Twins must feel the same way. There's going to be something good that's going to happen tonight because we've got Pavano on the mound against the Tigers. So I guess the key is, is will the Tigers believe that? And if, if he gets into the Tigers' head, that's a different story. Then now you're really in behind the eight ball. Um, I hate to say it, but I see Pavano winning that game, and I see that series now drawing the, that would bring the Twins within one game going into Thursday. If the Tigers' offense wants to win this ball game with Eddie Bonina on the mound, it, against Carl Pavano, doesn't the key have to be to take pitches and maybe have Granderson and Polanco on base as much as possible? Absolutely. There's no question about that, uh, Joe. I mean, the, 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 you know, I've said it before, the, the, the struggles the Tigers have had offensively you know, have really been, I think, rooted in the, 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 the lack of those two guys getting on base at the same time. Now, that, you know, obviously Polanco's he's, he's really stepped it up the last month or so. Granderson, not so much. And, but when those two guys are both doing their thing at the same time, that offense just looks so much better, and it just, just takes on a different dynamic. You're absolutely right. If those two guys can get on base consistently, uh, and really kind of make, like you said, make Pavano work a little bit harder and, and make him throw more pitches, like they kind of did in Minnesota, really. If you, if you think back to his start uh, against Verlander in Minnesota, he, they really did make him throw a lot of pitches, and he was trying to, he had to wiggle out of a lot of jams. Uh, he was able to do it, but, you know, they, they made him probably work as hard as he's had to work this year against them. So if they can do that again, they'll, they'll have a fighting chance. But you're right, those guys have got to get on base and start to you know, set the table, wreak some havoc, and just make things a little more uncomfortable for him. Because I think the Tigers have made things a little too comfortable for Carl Pavano this year. And, and, and not that Carl Pavano's not a good pitcher, but I think they've made him a better pitcher than he really is. When you look at Eddie Bonine making this schedule, the final scheduled start for him probably in 2009, even if they do make the playoffs, one thing that comes to mind, you mentioned the offense, if they don't show up against Carl Pavano, which they've done in the past, a 3-0 record at Comerica Park for Pavano this year with a 1.61 ERA, does Bonine have the stuff to get them into the late innings or possibly when they get to that bullpen against for that Twins bullpen that the Tigers have a chance? You know, it's, it's asking an awful lot. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a big guy, of, a big proponent of, uh, of veteran people, as you know, and, and I, I just think that's asking an awful lot of a kid like that. I know that Eddie pitched extremely well in Chicago on Friday and did not get, unfortunately, rewarded for it. But you know what? That's that's a tall order. I, I think if you look at the, the four pitchers that are that are throwing in that series for the Tigers, he's the one that you should put the least amount of expectations on, because of where it's coming from. I mean, he's, he's, he was you know he's in Toledo a couple of weeks ago. He's he's not you know he's a he's a fringe. He's a borderline major league pitcher, and I'm not even sure if he's really a quality major league starter at this point. He's just he's just in there right now because they they they're in a jam and they, they've got to get people. They've got to throw somebody out there and. You know, he's, so it's kind of unfortunate that he's in that situation, but it is what it is, and, and you know, I, I wish him the best, but I just I think it's asking an awful lot to have him go uh, mano a mano against a guy like Carl Bobano, which rhymes, I guess, and, <laughs> and try to uh, and try to stem that uh, Pavano tide because it's 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 just the only thing you can I guess you can really hope for is that it's it, it, it's due to that that tide is due to turn, I guess, but whether it's going to, I don't know. Hopefully it does, because when you take on a Carl Pavano, you expect to win. Let's move to the final uh, matchup of the series. It's the last start for Nate Robertson of the year, unless they make the playoffs. And what's so strange, you would come down to this. It would come down to Nate Robertson, possibly. How big is this start for him? 
oh, you know, well, if it's, if it's going to shape up the way I'm predicting it's going to shape, shape up, this is huge because this is going to mean either the Twins are tied for the division lead or the Tigers are up by two with those three games to play. It's essentially, a, it's, almost like, it's almost like a divisional clinching game. Because if, if Nate wins that game and the Tigers go up by two or three to play, they're, they're pretty much in. Uh, but if he loses, now it's anybody's division because now you're looking at uh, the Twins hosting the Royals for three games and the Tigers hosting the White Sox. So, you know, it's, <laughs> it's huge. It's almost a playoff-type game, which is what's great about baseball and what's great about pennant races. And I'm so glad that, that the, if there's nothing else that the Major League Baseball does correctly, it's at least that they schedule all these interdivisional games at the end of the year like this so we're able to have these kinds of marquee matchups at the end, the last week of the season. And this is what it's all about. I mean, you know, Nate, I like Nate because he's, he's, he's battle-tested. He's, he's pitched in World Series games. He's pitched in, uh, you know, the playoffs. He's pitched in big games before. You know, he, he handled the Twins pretty well in, in the Metrodome a week or so ago. I, I, liked, I like him in this situation, uh, despite the fact that he's not been there all year and the fact that he's been kind of up and down and he's been hurt and all that other stuff. I, I like him. He's like a bulldog. And uh, I, I like his... I like him going up against the most big left-handed hitters the Twins have, and um, I like the matchup. That is a good point to make, that the lefty will be going against a great lefty lineup in the last matchup against them. Going for the Twins, Scott Baker, 14-9 on the year, but he's got that 4.48 ERA. Now, stats don't tell the whole story. I'll be the first to admit that, but in his last start, he allowed four runs in his six and a thirds innings to the Royals. He's one of those pitchers that's been streaky. He shut down the Tigers before, but like in that game against the Royals, he retired 13 straight, and then he gave up back-to-back solo home runs to start the second inning to start the inning, the next inning. So we'll see how that works out for Baker. What are your thoughts on Baker? Do you think he pitches well in this game? He'll probably pitch well. Um, he tends to pitch well against the Tigers. Against, then again, so do a lot of other pitchers, unfortunately. But you know what? I, I, I think he will pitch well. I think that'll be a, probably a low-scoring affair. Um, I think you can take heart in the fact that, just like we were talking earlier about how the Twins might feel like something good's going to happen with Carl Bonnell's on the mound, I think the Tigers feel like there's something that something's good, something good is going to happen when they're at home. They've got that incredibly good home record, and after this many games, 75 games at home, 74 games at home, they've won 48 of them, you, you really believe that when you take the field at Comerica Park, it, it, it's going to end up in your favor. Something good's going to happen. You're going to get a late rally. Uh, the other team's going to make a mistake. Uh, something you know, unusual might happen, but to your benefit, you get that feeling. So if anything, if they can make the Tigers and their fans feel a lot maybe better about this week, this final week, is that all seven games are at Comerica Park, where they've played very well. And they don't even have to go out there and win four or five of them. If they don't, if they really, they can just kind of, you know, play even and just even win four of these last seven games at home. They'll probably win the division. So, you know, you got to feel like, I'm sure they feel like that when they, when they take the field at the Copa, they're going to come off victorious because that's just the way they've played all year. That is very true. Well, let's take a look at some Tigers news going to this twin series. Jared Washburn, he's not going to be back in the regular season, but there's a possibility after visiting orthopedic surgeon Dr. Lewis Yoakum that he could make it back sometime in the postseason if he takes one of the rehab routes. If you're Dave Dombrowski, Jim Leland, as you're looking ahead to the playoffs, I know that they're not doing that right now, but when it comes to that time, is Washburn a guy you want to add back, especially if one of those four pitchers that are going right now are strong in the playoffs? No. I think that you shut him down. I think you just kind of say, well, that didn't work. and We, we, we made a move at the deadline. We thought it was a good move at the time. 
Um, he was he was pitching well. Uh, he was he looked like he was going to be a valuable addition to the to the to the mix. I think he just kind of said, "Well, you know what? It just wasn't meant to be." He just he just never got on track. He never was real comfortable or healthy uh, to put him in, in add him to the playoff roster. Uh, I, I just think it's. If they do that, I certainly hope they don't put him on count on count on him as a starter. Maybe a guy out of the bullpen, perhaps. But you know, I, I'm more concerned about the, the, the health of Bobby C. I'm not sure if we're going to get into that or not later. But the health of Bobby C. concerns me as well. I mean, I know he's due back to the Twin Series, but that's scary too. And when a guy like C. goes down, has an MRI and everything at this this juncture of the season, you know, you don't know when that's going whether that's going to go south. We were just going to bring that up, Bobby. See, that's scary, isn't it? When you look at what happens in that situation, he's a top left-handed reliever in the bullpen. He's got that mild left pectoral strain. He's supposed to pitch today starting against the Twins. I, I don't know if if this is the right thing to do. Do you start C against the, the Twins right now? If I were Jim Leland, I know that you have to win these games. Maybe I take a little less chance of going after going to him unless I really, really need him to get that pectoral muscle back up to his par. I would agree with that uh, uh, approach. Uh, Fucini has is, is pitched well, as well as the left hand on the bullpen. Um, don't know how he's going to react in a situation like this, but I, he, he seems to be another one of these guys who's kind of unflappable, kind of nothing really gets to him. So I think that, I agree, I think that with C, I, I really think to be careful. Um, it doesn't help that you know you're pitching in colder weather, although it hasn't really gotten too cold yet in Detroit. But as we get into October, the Tigers are fortunate enough to, fortunate enough to play October baseball. You know, now you're talking about maybe temperatures in the 50s, and I'm not sure that's really good for him either. So you really have to be careful with him. Um, I think if Jim looks at a matchup, and, and, and I know he does, that would really be beneficial to him based on past matchup, past at-bats. And he feels like the Bobby's the best guy. He might bring him in for on a one and done kind of a deal where he pitches to one bat and that's it. Uh, I don't think you'll see anything extended much beyond a couple three batters with Bobby uh, until they're really sure that he can. You know, I, although I don't know how you really tell if he's if, you're, if he's going to be if he is healthy, but you know, he just hates to overdo it. And then now he's really done. Now he now he, I don't have him at all, and that's that's obviously the worst case scenario. And that would be tough going into the playoffs without your top lefty reliever. Let's talk a little bit about Jim Leland going into this series. Article comes out saying he isn't feeling the pressure. The Tigers are having fun as they're in this AL Central race. What are your thoughts on this? On the opposite side, last series, White Sox, Ozzie Gian, he's not in the race. He's freaking out, yelling at his players for watching college football. Is this a good thing to have in the clubhouse when you got two mellow guys? On the opposite side, it's Ron Gardenhire. On the, opposite, on the other side, it's Jim Leland. So much of what managers say to the media is designed to be read and heard by the players. And if Jim Leland is telling us uh, that guys are having fun and this is the best place to be in and you want to be in these situations, this is what you live for and all that stuff, he's not a rah-rah guy. He's not a rah-rah guy behind the scenes. And he knows the players are going to hear about this. And Sometimes if you get your own players to believe that and say, yeah, well, yeah, wait a minute, maybe we are having fun. Maybe this is fun. Maybe this is what we're supposed to be thriving. This is supposed to be a situation where we're thriving as opposed to being scared of it. Then, I mean, that's, then that's, that's masterful. You don't go out there and you say, well, you know, you, you don't hem and haw and, and get, uh, you know, look at the glasses being half empty and all that other jazz. 
because that doesn't all that does is just that just comes up the works. Garden Hire and and Leland are very good, both of them, uh, in keeping an even keel and and and, and, keep, and knowing when to push and prod and when to pull back. And when Jim comes out and says these kinds of things, it's it's done. Don't don't kid yourself. It's done with a with a plan. Just like when he was talking about his contract situation last year, that was done with a plan too. So you know he, these these guys aren't stupid. They've been doing this for a long time, and they know what players respond to, what they don't respond to. And the worst thing you can do is to portray the, the, this scenario as being a, a, one of, of, of anxiety and tension. And of course you're going to say it's, it's fun and this is what you're supposed to be playing for and this is the great time of the year because you want your players to believe that. Well, finally, as we wrap up, speaking of these guys that are not stupid, let's talk about Jim Leland first as we look up at three games against the White Sox. How smart is this? As, as I've, I've accumulated, I might be wrong, Justin Verlander, Last day on four days rest will be the last day of the season against the White Sox. Do you think that was put together, manipulated that way? It probably was. And, and, and you know, at the same time, I bet you that Jim, Le- Jim Leland would wish that it didn't have to be that way. Uh, I'm sure that he wishes that he had a big enough lead right now in the division where he could kind of get his uh, ALDS rotation in order. Unfortunately, it's not, it's not, that's just not the case. He has, he has to manage this, past, this, this upcoming week. Uh, like he's managing a playoff series. This is a playoff series. This, this upcoming, these upcoming seven games. He doesn't have the luxury of setting things up for next week when the playoffs begin. He has to get this division put to bed first. And unfortunately, with the two-game lead, with this many games to play, it's it's far from sewn up. So putting Verlander, you know, in a situation like that, like you mentioned, probably wasn't wouldn't have been his first choice. He probably would have rather have had Verlander ready to go for Game One of the ALDS. But that's not going to be the case, obviously, uh, if things work out the way that they're supposed to. So I, I think that that's, uh, that's just one, one of those things you've got to manage for the moment. And, and unfortunately, it doesn't, it doesn't always work that you can have the luxury of managing for the, for the postseason when the regular season is still going. It, it definitely probably would help out. Jim Leland would probably not like to throw even Edwin Jackson. He's going to go against the White Sox and probably most likely Rick Porcello in that series. The final three games, it could, could not come down to those three games. It's going to be exciting, isn't it, Greg? It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, this is, I, I just wrote a, a piece about the 1987, that final week when the Tigers overcame the, the Blue Jays when they were three and a half games down with about a week to go in the season. And, you know, this is great. This is just a great time of year. And I, I'm, it's, just, it's just so much fun when, when the, the two teams that are battling for the division play each other this many times at the end. And, and, and this is probably the biggest regular season series. To be honest with you, this might be the biggest regular season series that's ever been played in this ballpark uh, since it's opened. And, you know, I, it just reminds me of the, the old days of Tiger Stadium when the Blue Jays would come in for a big series or the Red Sox would come in or the Yankees would come in and it, had, it would have implications. And it's just, it's, a, it's great. It's just a great scenario. And it, it, just, it just makes you just really, really appreciate the game. Greg Eno of GregEno.com and the Knee Jerks, blogtalkradio.com slash the Knee Jerks, listening tonight at 11 o'clock. I imagine, Greg, you and Big Al are going to be talking a lot of Tigers baseball. Of course, every week. All right, Greg, thank you for joining me, and have a great week. Go Tigers. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it, buddy. Greg Eno of GregEno.com and the Knee Jerks, which airs tonight at 11 on blogtalkradio.com slash the Knee Jerks. Always great insight from Greg, something we could truly use down the stretch here with this four-game series in the horizon.
Make sure you tune in to the Knee Jerks tonight as Eno and Big Al will be breaking down the Detroit Tigers and probably talking about that big win for the Detroit Lions on Sunday. That's at blogtalkradio.com slash the Knee Jerks. When we come back on this week in Detroit Tigers baseball, we'll talk prospects. Paul Wesner of Tigestown.com, the number one minor league source, will stop by to inform us of the changes to the Arizona Fall League roster. That's next on This Week in Detroit Tigers baseball. There is only one site to get the most timely, insightful college football analysis, Fantasy College Blitz. With a combined 50-plus years of playing, Fantasy College Blitz pioneered the hobby in 1995. Cheat sheet customizer for specific league setup, multi-year statistical analysis, interviews and discussions about the latest trends and news on the Blitz Radio Podcast. You want to win your league, humiliate your friends, and take the trophy? It's all about Fantasy College Blitz. Confessions of a Potentially Perfect Parent, brought to you by AdoptUsKids.org. I don't know how to talk like a parent. Don't make me come back there. You see what I mean? It's pretty awful. Try to get. Don't make me come back there. Now that's pretty good. That one kind of sounded like my dad. Weird. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who would love to put up with you. Call 1-888-200-4005 or visit AdoptUsKids.org for more information. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Adopt Us Kids in the Ad Council. They're not growling, they're not biting, heck, they're not even angry. But these young players have a future in the old English D. It's time for Prospects on the Prowl on MotorCityBengals.com. Here's Joe Dexter. Now joining us to talk Arizona Fall League in minor league wrap-up is Paul Wessner of Tigestown.com, the number one source for Tigers minor league coverage and analysis. Hey, Paul, how's it going? Doing well. How are you doing? Doing great. Last week we talked Arizona Fall League. We mentioned the players that should, would be representing the Tigers. Well, now there's been some changes, as you're reporting at Tigestown.com, with injuries and the organization just wanting to get some players some rest this offseason. Ryan Streeby, Cody Satterwhite have been replaced by 2009 Ryan, Round 2 selection Andy Oliver of Oklahoma State. And an outfielder who struggled after a chance last year to play in the Arizona Fall League in Casper Wells. Let's start with the concern of the two players left off the AFL rest roster. For Streeby, the Hemi bone has been a concern. Is that why he's sitting out? Is it a way to get him rest, or is it a real worry there? You know, I mean, it's certainly a little bit of a worry there because these sort of things, you know, a broken bone in a hand, certainly it's never good. You obviously have to, you know, take steps to, you know, take care of it and things like that. But we're now about 15 months since he broke that bone in his hand, and we're still having issues continuing to pop up. And as I mentioned last time we talked, you know, he's had a few different um, evaluations by different doctors, each one coming up with a different theory on why it's not getting better right now. And anytime that sort of thing happens when you have, you know, multiple different doctors, obviously well-trained guys because the organization won't send them to them otherwise, all coming up with different reasons why these things, like why there's still pain there, why he still doesn't have, you know, full range of motion, things like that, it's going to be a concern. So until he can get back out on the field, hit, swing, and play the game really with no concern whatsoever about the hand, no pain, anything like that, then, yeah, there's absolutely going to be a little bit of worry there. How about Cody Satterwhite? He's been on the DL sometime this year. Is there concern in the organization about the injury? Is this just a way to get him some rest to build on past performance instead of maybe aggravating that past injury? Yeah, Satterwhite's case is really more just a case of, you know, he had a little bit, you know, some injury issues as the stretch came down. 
they could have possibly had him go this fall, but, you know, realistically, with the younger arm, there's no reason to push him. He's got plenty of time to come around and was already an effective pitcher in double-A ball. So, you know, any guy that can pitch effectively at the double-A level is really only maybe a year or so away from competing at the big league level. So at this point, especially given the fact that the Tigers know that they're going to be needing bullpen help in the next year or two, there's really no reason to try and push him through the Arizona Fall League just to test him. They're better off just letting his hand you know, get rested up, get ready for the 2010 season, and just you know take the fall off, so to speak. Now let's talk about the new Fall League members, starting with Andy Oliver now. He has a great changeup with the late movement, like most of these other players, though. He doesn't have that minor league experience we talk about when you talk about Arizona Fall League. Is there any different motivation for the Tigers to throw him out against this bigger and better professional hitters than just to see what he can do at this point? You know, it, Oliver was a bit of a surprise case here coming, as you mentioned, you know, he hasn't yet to pitch in you know, an actual professional you know, minor league game so far. So typically that's not the type of profile that gets sent to the AFL. That being said, Oliver's a guy that um, coming into the 2009 season had like top 10 draft pick potential, like not top 10 rounds, saying top 10 overall, one of the top 10 picks. Um, he really struggled with his breaking ball throughout the uh, season, and so that really caused him to tumble quite a bit. But realistically, you're talking about a left-hander who has, you know, three years of college experience can dial it up to 95, 96. And Mark Anderson, our managing editor, has just been down in Instructs, our fall ball, the Tigers fall ball league this past week, and said Oliver looked very good and the breaking ball looked very good as well. So I think it's really one of those cases where, you know, you go out there, you look at him, you see him, you can say, listen, this guy can pitch. Let's see if we can try and push him a little bit and see how he responds to that. And if so, he could find himself on a fast track to the big leagues. Well, let's look, take a look at Casper Wells, who's been in the Arizona Fall League this year. Some would call his season an average year at best with AA Erie. Uh, he's one of the top-hitting prospects last year in the AFL even, so the Tigers know he can hit at this level. So selecting him, is it possibly a move to boost his confidence and get him in some area more bats against tough pitching? And like you guys have written about at Tigestown.com, he's become from untouchable to realizing that, hey, there is some situations where he's not the best in the system. Is that what they're using the slot for instead of someone that could have gotten a look that hasn't? Um, I think realistically it's a matter of the fact that uh, Wells missed a good, I believe it was seven or eight weeks this season with a very similar injury to what Ryan Streeby suffered the previous year. He hasn't had the lingering effects that Streeby has, but still he missed. I believe the injury happened just like midway through April, and he was out for the rest of April all through May and into a little bit of June. So I mean, you're talking about a guy that really lost a good chunk of his season, and so then you have, you know, just readjusting after not playing, you know, at all competitive baseball for a couple of months. And so he really lost a good half a year. And so really I think throwing him out to the AFL is the Tigers' way of trying to really extend his season and give him those additional at-bats that he would have had had he not gotten hurt and had he been able to play throughout the entire year. Now say he does have a good Arizona Fall League season. Do you think he restarts at AA Erie or is there some moving down there? You know, I think there's a good chance he probably ends up getting pushed up to Toledo for next year. You know, a lot of things are going to have to be shaking out, and we'll have to see how that all plays out. But you've got, you know, a number of guys, obviously, in AAA Toledo this year that may be trying to be pushed up, maybe leaving the organization, something like that. So there's going to be opportunity in Toledo with, you know, a guy like Wilkin Ramirez, most likely looking for a promotion, somebody like Brent Cleveland, 
clearly no longer really an option within the organization that might be looking elsewhere come this offseason. So there's going to be opportunities in Toledo, and you're really going to have to push guys up to meet those. And I think, assuming Casper has a good AFL and has a good spring next year, I think he's most likely going to be one of those guys that moves up to Toledo. Finally, Paul, one more roster spot left for the Arizona Fall League, and it hasn't been announced yet, at least to my knowledge. Any idea or speculation on who it could be? It actually it just came out. We just got word. Um, it's going to be Toledo swingman type uh, Scott Drucker. He was signing the organization in midway through 2008 after having some injury issues in the Oakland Athletics organization. Had a good end to last season. Pitched the entire 2009 year with Toledo. Kind of really, like I said, swingman role. So some days he was starting, then he'd get thrown to the bullpen for a few weeks. And really that's just kind of the nature of the beast given the number of rehab guys the Tigers had this year with Dontrell Willis, Jeremy Bondeman, and Nate Robertson all needing starting spots or not needing spots at various times throughout the season. So he kind of became that fill-in guy that he'd be starting or unless we just somebody else needed that spot, somebody else would move in and grab it and he'd get shifted out to the bullpen. He's a very versatile pitcher. What really comes down to him is that he doesn't have great stuff. He's really kind of like a 89, 90-mile-an-hour fastball guy. He can change up. What really comes down for him is if his curveball's on and when it is on, then he's a very good pitcher. When it's not on, the rest of his stuff obviously being very average already, hitters can sit on those pitches, and he gets hit pretty hard. Paul Wesner, Tigestown.com, the number one source for Tigers minor league coverage and analysis. Kind enough to join us to talk Arizona Fall League and wrap that up. Paul, thank you for your time. No problem. When we come back one last time on This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball, we'll wrap things up and talk about our live broadcast to end the season next week. We'll be looking forward to hearing from you, the fans, and getting insight from bloggers and analysis across the internet, win or lose, in the playoffs or not in the playoffs. We have the details coming up in just a bit on This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball. Brian turned to glance at the pilot, who suddenly had both hands on his stomach and was grimacing in pain. I don't know, kid. The pilot's words were a hiss, barely audible. Bad aches here. Bad aches. He stopped as a fresh spasm of pain hit him. The pilot was having a heart attack. Brian saw the pilot slam into the seat one more time. One more awful time he slammed back into the seat, and his right leg jerked pulling the plane to the side. Brian was sitting in a bush plane roaring 7,000 feet above the northern wilderness with a pilot who had suffered a massive heart attack and who was either dead or in something close to a coma. He was alone. In the roaring plane, he was alone. The plane, committed now to crashing, fell like a stone, and Brian eased back and braced himself for the crash. Explore new worlds. Find out what happens next by reading the book Hatchet by Gary Paulson. For other great book ideas, visit literacy.gov. A message from the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Welcome back to This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball. Here's your host, Joe Dexter. Welcome back to This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball. One last time this week, I am your host, Joe Dexter. I don't know about you, but I am looking forward to the next four days. Playoffs dropping four out of four. A tie in the division going into the final series of the year. Heck, either way, I'm excited because this is what defines our 2009 Detroit Tigers. It's not the horrible offense of this season's past. It's not the pitching of Justin Verlander earlier in the year. Hell, it's not even about the game's loss in the game's won. This is a new season for our Detroit Tigers that we are approaching and quite frankly may the best team win because that is what baseball is about. 
Also exciting me this week is next week's show, which will be broadcasted live at 7 p.m. on the final day of the season against those pesky Chicago White Sox. Win, lose, playoffs or not, our two-hour show will broadcast across the internet with interviews, opinions, and of course, your input. We'll have a phone number for you to call in on and give your thoughts on the 2009 season. We'll have more details on that as they become available at MotorCityBengals.com. Until then, I look forward to hearing from you at MotorCityBengals at gmail.com and of course, at our home on the web, MotorCityBengals.com, part of the Fan-Sided Network. Until next week, as always, go get the pennant, Tigers! It was great to be a Tiger fan with a Georgia Peach and Wahoo Sam. They won the pennant three years in a row. Then Heilman led the squad, batting titles in years that were odd. Brick Stadium always had a hitting show. I'm talking baseball. Charlie slugging Tiger baseball. Schoolboy did the chucking. Goose Goslin made opposing pitcher scream. Then Georgie Kelly came upon the scene. I'm talking baseball. The Motor City team.